Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So just to quickly recap for us the first couple of chapters that we went through. We saw in this book of Jonah, very important as the grace of God is revealed to a number of different people, important for us to note how the book begins. It begins by a holy, righteous God provoked by the evil of a certain city. And he calls his prophet Jonah to go to the city and to speak out against it for the evil has arisen before God. And Jonah, not very willingly, Instead of obeying God and doing what God commands him, he goes in a different direction. And as we saw, you know, this theme throughout the book of Jonah about Jonah being called to arise and go to Nineveh. Now, arising in obedience as we grow closer to God and as we obey him, Jonah does the opposite and he continues to go down in disobedience, down to Tarshish, down into the boat, down into the lower parts of the boat, down into the sea, down into the fish. And we learn an important lesson, and that is that our disobedience will lead to death. Yes, God is gracious, slow to anger, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, but he's still a holy, righteous, just God that demands obedience. And in fact, as we see the sovereignty of God displayed in the book of Jonah, we see this interesting thing that all of creation obeys immediately at God's voice, except for mankind. Just, just think about that and let that sink in. We are the only ones that when an almighty holy God speaks, we don't obey immediately. Sometimes we disobey and we do exact opposite of what God expects of us. But the whole of creation obeys immediately. Wind, worm, storm, plant obeys when God speaks. And we also saw that not only will our disobedience eventually lead to death, but our disobedience will cause unnecessary storms in our life. Following God will already bring trials and tribulations. For the prosperity gospel, we will suffer, we will have trials, we will have persecution because we follow God, but our disobedience will bring self-inflicted trouble into our lives. And like we said, you know, that's no new news to any of us. When we look back at our lives, we can think about instances where our own decisions got us way that wasn't very pleasing amen not very nice but we also saw not only will our disobedience affect us but it will also affect those around us the people on the ship with Jonah it cost them their livelihood they lost their cargo luckily a sovereign God still in control and the sailors of the ship ends up worshiping the God of the Bible covenant name Yahweh gets a revelation of who this God is and we saw that we have to pay Careful attention to those we surround ourselves with because their disobedience will also cost us something. It's not something new. We see this around us. Makes us feel uncomfortable many times, but luckily a sovereign God is still in control and he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And he steps in when he wants to step in, in whatever way he wants to, because he's God. Amen. But at chapter one, like we said, this book of Jonah asks a lot of questions and they are never answered. The reason for that is for us as the readers to reflect on those questions, to examine our hearts, to examine ourselves, because we are often where Jonah is. Our hearts are often where Jonah's heart was. And the first question, the world rebuking the church, the church as the sailors come to Jonah and say, 
What do you mean you sleeper? Arise and pray to your God. Maybe he will care if we perish. In other words, don't you care that we are perishing? Why are you asleep? And the church called to be a light to the world, to go and preach the gospel to the nations. It's also unfortunately, mostly throughout history, asleep. And the world's asking, don't you care if we perish? And we saw the reason for that's twofold, is that we are not arising and praying to our God. Firstly, meaning that we do not have an intimate relationship with the God we say we worship. And the question we need to ask and answer ourselves is, do you know God? Not have you heard about him, but do you know him? When someone speaks about the presence of God, is it something you've heard about or does it something that you experience regularly? Do you know the God that you serve? Do you know the God that you worship? Do you have a desire to know the God you are worshiping? Because it's not difficult. Open up your Bible, begin to read. Open up your mouth, begin to pray. And like Maria said last week, you know, we're sometimes so busy and so rushed, chasing the wind, that in our society and culture, we often say, no, but I don't have time, man, I really want to. I just don't have time. And luckily for technology, you can open up your phone, go to settings, open up the screen time app, and then still ask that question. Do you want to know the God who died for you so that you can live? That will reveal something. About the time we spend on social media, the time we spend watching a TV, watching series, do you really want to know the God you worship? Question we need to ask ourselves. And also we need to pray to God, as Jesus also said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers of you pray. The response to the magnitude of the harvest is not to go, but it is to pray so that God can send people with conviction that endure in the calling. And now I have to ask us, because it's been a couple of weeks since we did chapter one. Did you arise and pray to your God in this time? A couple of weeks have went past. Have you been urgently imploring God, Lord, send laborers? Or was it something that we just heard and still neglected? No, it's confrontational, but we have to ask that question. Because again, like we said in our Western culture, we think we do what we know, and that's not true. Just because we know something, just because we heard something, just because we understand something, doesn't mean we automatically do those things. But have you been busy praying to God that he will send laborers into the field? And then we looked at chapter two, and we asked the question, what should God do with a man like this, passive, disobedient, doesn't obey? resembles us we are that man what does a holy god do and we saw that god in grace caused jonah into the sea and many times we are also in the storm and stuff looks chaotic and we don't know what is going on but it is the grace of god on display so that he can shake us from our spiritual passivity so that he can shake us from our sleep and so that we can begin to cry out to god As we saw, when Jonah's life was in danger, then Jonah prayed, then Jonah cried out to God. And unfortunately, that is the same with us. When we are spiritually passive, the most loving thing that God can do is send the storm so that he can wake us from our sleep because the last storm that will come is the judgment of almighty, righteous God. And on that day, it's too late. And we pray, Lord, send the storm rather now Awake us, Lord, rather now. 
well, we still have time to repent and turn to you. Amen. And we saw that God always extends grace first. He sent the fish before Jonah cried out for help. And in the same way, God sent Jesus before we turned to God. Amen. God's grace always first. But then we saw throughout chapter 3 and 4 that Jonah is still the same man. Yes, he does outwardly what God called him to do, but inwardly there's no change. And that's the same of us many times. God sends certain things our way. He leads us through a certain process. He extends his grace towards us, but at the end we still look the same. No change happens. Why? And we saw while Jonah said a lot of beautiful things, there's one thing he neglected. He never repented of his sin. Never took ownership. And we need to acknowledge that we need the grace of God to receive the grace of God in order to change. Amen? We need to repent. And as we say, we are slow to repent many times. And when we do it, we don't do it fully. We like to go to God and say, Lord, I know that I sometimes struggle a little bit with. Instead of just taking full ownership so that God can come and change and move and extend grace. Same thing, you know, like I said with my wife as well. I like to go to her and say, yes, sorry that I a little bit, maybe sometimes did. And then she stops me and she says, no, surely that's not what you mean. Take responsibility. And we need to take responsibility. And as Maria also just worshiped so beautifully, the kindness and the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. Why? You see, many times we think repentance is this bad thing. Man and I don't want to repent because it sheds a bad light on me. Now I have to acknowledge that I have sinned. We know that. Scripture tells us that already. It's no surprise. There's a single aspect of our being that doesn't like repentance, and that is our pride. It's the only thing. Our pride doesn't like it. But repentance is a gracious thing. Why? Because each and every time I repent, I receive what I don't deserve. The forgiveness and love of a holy God because my sin was placed on Christ. That's no big burden to carry. The goodness of God leading us to repentance so that we can receive grace. Amen. That's what happened in Nineveh. They repented. They took ownership of their sin. And God relented of the disaster he was to send over them. And now we pick up the story and we see on display in chapter 4 what it is that Jonah needed to repent of. What is going in, in his heart? What is it that leads him to be spiritually passive? What is it that leads him to not obey? The same is true for us as well. And there's a lot of things, but there's a couple of core things. And before we dive into chapter five, I wanna ask us that question where we're sitting. You can turn to the person next to you and ask this question. What is it that leads you to sin? I know it's, you, can speak, you don't have to speak about yourself. You know, you, you can, Make it, you know, third person, people. Why do people sin? Why do people fall into temptation? Why do people become spiritually passive? What is one of those things? And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought of that before? Have you ever sat down and think to yourself, why do I struggle with that thing? Why does that temptation always catch me? What is it that I need to change or shift? It's a very important question. Amen? It can really be helpful. Let's take a couple of seconds. Quickly turn to the person next to you. Okay, I see some of you still need some time afterwards, maybe a coffee or six. Is there anybody that took philosophy in university? Vian, okay. 
I would like to hear the answer, but we'll speak afterwards. <coughs> Philosophy has the ability to say a lot of stuff that actually doesn't mean anything, but yeah. I'm, not, I'm sure that's not what you do, Vianney. He's a very wise man, one of our elders. He knows. He knows. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of reasons, but there's a couple of core reasons, and I believe tonight we're going to look at one of those core reasons. When it comes to the passivity of the church, when it comes to disobedience, when it comes to temptation, when it basically comes to any form of a purpose that God has given the church that we fail to obey, it, it comes down to, to this thing in one another way. So let's read through the passage and see what we can learn. Jonah 4, from verse 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That was the fact that God relented of the disaster that he was going to bring upon Nineveh. Just to catch up, that's where we ended in chapter 3. The Ninevites repented, God relents of the disaster, and Jonah is displeased. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Again, question asked, not answered. Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat, sat under its shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from, him, from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you, be, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I put in Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Here we see this interesting story and Jonah being contrasted. The grace of God being extended to a number of different people like we said throughout the book. And Jonah being exceedingly glad and rejoicing exceedingly and praising God exceedingly when the grace of God is extended towards him. But he's displeased when the grace of God is extended towards someone else. And it all starts here with Jonah's reaction, verse 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And like we said, it's not the character of God specifically that angers Jonah. I mean, that would be weird to think that. If you go to someone and say, hey, there's this person and he's angry, and you say, why? No, because God is slow to anger and he's merciful and he just loves us and he relents of disaster. 
That, that, that doesn't make sense. But it's because it's extended towards this group of people. And maybe just also create a little bit of context. Jonah is not displeased with God. Just, you know, explain his grace to some random people somewhere far off. The Ninevites had an influence in Jonah's day. A part of the Assyrian nation. And Assyrian being a big nation and they took over a lot of people and a lot of ground in Jonah's day. But because there was division that came up in the Assyrian camp. King Jeroboam II, that was an evil king in Jonah's time in Israel, took over a lot of those cities again. And almost to the whole extent of the nation of Israel, the ground that they lost, they recovered once again. And Israel in this specific time and place, not very repented, busy with idol worship, busy oppressing the poor, God sent prophets to them, repent of your sin, and yet nothing happens. So just note that Jonah knows that these are the people that threatens our comfort. If God wants to send someone to come and take us into captivity because we refuse to repent, it will be the Assyrian army. And it ended up being the Assyrian army, taking the northern kingdom into captivity and sending some of the Ninevites to actually go and live in Samaria with their mixed religions. And when the Jews returned, they married some of the Ninevites and that happened to have that mixed religion. That was why the Jews of Jesus' day also hated the Samarians. These Assyrian people, these Ninevites, these, these half-breeds as they called them, you know, this mixed race with all of their mixed religion. So just to paint in the picture a little bit, a threat to their comfort. And then we see this question that we need to ask and answer for ourselves. Verse 3 where Jonah says, Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? And we need to answer that question for ourselves as we are sitting here tonight as well. You know, in the heart of Jonah, three things primarily on display for us to learn from, and we'll quickly look at the one and the other two is connected, but it's pride, selfishness, and a lack of an eternal perspective. That's the problem Jonah has. And to quickly deal with that area of pride, we need to ask ourselves the question, Why would we be angry or why would we be displeased if God extends grace to other people? Would you do that? Would you be displeased if God extends grace to someone else? And we tend when it's asked in that way just to say no, but let me phrase it in a different light. When someone gets something that you really wanted and you think you actually deserved, does that displease you? When that job was up for grabs at work and the other person got it and you didn't. Or in school, in university, when it seems to go well with other people but it doesn't go that well with you, does that displease you? You see, when we asked it a little bit differently, it tends to hit home a little bit more. And now the question, why would that displease you? Why would we become angry at that? You see, there is only one answer, pride, because we think we deserve it and they don't. There is no other answer. I deserved it. I'm a better human being. I did more. I deserve more. They don't. Sometimes it's just pride. Sometimes it's religious pride. 
think I'm more moral then, more righteous then. Man, I deserve it. They don't. How can they get that? I am not receiving what I think I deserve. You see, to maybe phrase it a little bit differently, we also see it sometimes in social media or in the news. Someone gets convicted of a certain crime or thing that they did. Man, it's horrible. Murder or whatever the case might be. And you see the people beginning to react to this. Man, this person deserves the death penalty. They should never be set free in their lives. I hope he knows what he did. We'll never forgive him. And then there's always that one person that thinks social media is the place to resolve these issues. Which it isn't, but it's entertaining sometimes. And they'll say, hey, just remember... We're not supposed to judge because God can always forgive. And then the response is, yeah, but we didn't do that. I get that I, I get stuff wrong now and then, but I didn't do that. I'm a little bit better than that. Sounds familiar. Maybe to ask it in a little bit different phrase, maybe you've heard this being said, but how do you feel thinking to yourself the following? What if you served God your whole life? of at least a long period of time. You served God, you obeyed God, you did your part, you labored. And then someone, just before they die, they turn to God and they also enter the kingdom. How does that make you feel? You can put a face to that. Maybe that person that you don't like so much. I know we're all Christians and you might not have such a person, but just imagine, huh? Try. Don't think it would be that difficult. Might be a president, I don't know. Just maybe. Stefan, so he is the president. Okay, I was wondering. Stefanus. How do you feel? Do you think that's, that's not fair? Man, I served God my whole life, and now this guy gets in just before he dies. And sometimes one of two things, and both of them are wrong, and both of them we need to deal with that if that is your heart. Sometimes it's a works-based salvation, thinking, no, I deserved to go in. I did my part. You kind of had that, that mentality that Jesus only needed to come down to earth for me. He didn't need to die for me. I understand there's those people that he needed to die for, but I kind of did my part. That's works-based salvation. That is not the gospel. And with that mentality, you will not enter the kingdom. I can promise you that. Like Jonathan Edwards says, we add nothing to our salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. That's it. The rest is the grace of God. And us responding to that grace in faith. Well, the second, and this one a little bit more, more confrontational maybe. But maybe you think to yourself, man, it's unfair because that person enjoyed their life to the end and I had to disobey I couldn't enjoy all those sins that they did. Are you with me? Be real with ourselves. They got to do all those fun things and I had to serve this God. And it was boring and I actually desired something else. Are you with me? And then the problem is you have a skewed perception of what it means to obey God and actually the character of God. And what it is that brings fulfillment in this life. And again, if that is your perception, then you will not enter the kingdom. We saw in the story of Jonah, God is not only interested in what we do, but why we do it. 
serving him out of love. This gracious, loving God that laid down his life so we could live. Are you with me? And then the question is, why would that be? Why would you think it's so burdensome now? Why does obedience sometimes seem burdenful? And why does temptation sometimes seem pleasing? Why? And that we see in this second session. From verse 5 to 6, God again displaying grace towards Jonah. You know, by this time you just think God's just going to strike him with a thunderbolt. Man, let's just get this done. Choose someone else, let's move on. And then we realize that as Nathan went and approached David about this man that also did these things, that we are also that man. Amen? Slow to obey. Slow to learn. Slow to understand. And God having to extend grace again and again and again. And yet still God comes by grace and teaches us this lesson. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed the plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. See that contrast. Someone's eternal, eternal destiny of their lives. God extends grace and Jonah is exceedingly displeased. God's grace extended over Jonah for temporal comfort and Jonah is exceedingly glad. And here we see Jonah's heart. What's the problem? He's selfish and he's focused on his own earthly kingdom. He has a lack of an eternal perspective. Focused on his own temporal comfort. The same as Israel in Jonah's situation. And then God asked Jonah another question and Jonah answered him and God sends the worm and the worm eats the plant and Jonah becomes angry again. And God tells Jonah what the problem is here in verse 10 and verse 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. You care for the plant. You are concerned about the plant. If you want to translate it for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night, meaning it's temporal thing. Scripture says our lives are like the grass of the field. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Our lives are but a mist. It's here for a little while. When the sun comes up, phew, gone. You are concerned about temporal things. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people, persons who do not know their right hand from their left, meaning they are spiritually blind, spiritually dead, and in need of grace. And also, much cattle. And here we see the problem of the church throughout the ages and us as human beings. Why? One of the big problems, at least. Why we are often passive? Why we often disobey? And why temptation makes sense? Why? Because we neglect to have an eternal perspective. That's why. Temptation only makes sense in the temporal. In light of eternity, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Job, wrote, Job writes in Job 31, and he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. And then he says, why in verse 2? Because he asked the question, what then will be my inheritance from the Almighty? 
What would be my portion in heaven? In light of eternity, how will that benefit me? How does that make sense? If I'm not focused on my temporal comfort, how will that benefit me? All temptation, all disobedience, every single purpose of the church, in light of eternity, only obedience makes sense. And the reason we neglect the purposes of the church is because we are focused on temporal comfort, building our own kingdoms. It's also why we are so tired. It's like Maria said, this chasing after the wind. Think about this. If you are busy building your own kingdom, who is responsible for the plan? You are. Who's responsible for the power to make the plan come into reality? You are. Who's responsible if the plan doesn't work? You are. See, there's a different kingdom. God's kingdom, and he comes up with a plan. He's the one that enables everything to take place, and he's the one responsible for making it happen. That's a much better kingdom. Are you with me? It's not temporal, it's eternal. And now we need to be real with ourselves because we would like to think we have an eternal perspective. But if you go to someone right now that doesn't know you and you show them how you spend your time, your possessions and your finances and you ask them, does it look like I'm preparing for a different world? What would be their answer? How does someone's life look when they immigrate to a different country? They get rid of stuff. They do not gather as much as they can. And many times selling stuff at the price that other people think those things are worth more, but in light of where we're going, that doesn't matter. We want to get rid of it. We are going. Are you with me? Are you living as if you are preparing for a different place? Something I don't understand. Why we as the church try to cling to this life as long as possible. It's like when Gerard always says, you know, we many times pray people out of heaven when they're sick. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for sick people because God gets glory, but I mean, man, leave some alone. Now, we have an agreement at our small group, you know, when you see we're dying or choking or something, do not resuscitate. Man, I will be angry if you do not leave me to go in peace. I do not want to stay here. And don't get me wrong, we need a balance. My boys are small. I would still love to see them serving God. I would love to see the day they come to me and say, Dad, we decided to follow Christ. I want to get baptized. Or they're going on missions, proclaiming the gospel, getting married. I'd love to see that. I love my wife. I love spending time with her. To getting to know her more as we grow all together. But man, I desire to be with God more. Amen? And to have that balance... Lord, show us to love the things that you've given us now, the people that you lend to us now, but man, may we long for eternity. Man, may we long to be there. Amen? And here we need to be real with ourselves as well. There could be many reasons why we try to cling to this life as comfortable as possible. And for some of us, it might be because we are unsure where we are going. We have no assurance of salvation. And in light of that, to cling to this life makes sense. And if that is you, you need to deal with God. Ask the question, am I saved? Do I really know God? And if you do, to ask God to give you assurance of salvation. 
As as Paul says, a true Christian can doubt their salvation, but we will never doubt that our only hope is Jesus Christ. Amen. But to deal with that then. But is that you and is that true? And luckily the answer, because now we need to ask ourselves, okay, but if that's true, if I see that I'm, I'm living for the here now, for the temporal and for comfort. The same with Jonah, you know, many of us also live east of the city. God calls us to reach Secunda, to be in Secunda, to minister in Secunda, but we're always about an hour away, somewhere on a hill. You with me? Weekends. Going somewhere else, instead of living where God has called us. It's one of the curses of technology. Connected to all of the world, but we don't live where we are. And again, don't get what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't go on vacation or have times of rest. I mean, we were away for a week, a week ago. But when you do that, know why you're doing that. Not to go and see the world. Not to go and be passive. But if I go on vacation, it's to spend time with my family and to draw close to God so that I can have new perspective and vision. Amen? If you go on vacation and you do not spend intentional time, firstly with God and secondly with your family, you waste God's time and God's money. It would be nice to say our time and our money, but we don't have time and we don't have money. We are stewards, amen. But you are wasting God's time and money. Living with an eternal perspective. and Having the balance. Lord, I want to enjoy the things you give. But I want to obey and prepare for a different world. Jesus says, there be your treasures, your heart will be also. You cannot store up in both places. Amen. What are you living for? And the answer, if we see that we don't have an eternal perspective, regardless of the reason, the answer is the same. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that he set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to the one whom we will be with for eternity, because when he needed to obey the will of the Father, he did it also with an eternal perspective, knowing that what he does, he does with joy, so that we can be with him forever. Amen. Let us then do the same. But what I do and how I plan my life and how I obey God is with Jesus Christ as the focus and being with him forever. Amen? Let's stand. Pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you. And firstly, acknowledge, Father, that if we are not intentional, Father, about having an eternal perspective, Father, and fighting, Lord, for the way we look at life, then the culture will overwhelm us and we will settle passively, seeing how comfortable we can make ourselves for as long as possible. For we know, Lord, that the Christian life is not a stroll in the park. It is a race to be run. It is a fight to be fought, Lord. Needs endurance, needs persistence. But thank you, Lord, that whenever, Father, those things are lacking, Lord, and when those things are needed, we do not look to ourselves because we do not have it within ourselves. We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
And we thank you, Jesus, that there's literally nothing that you ask us to do that you didn't set the perfect example in yourself. And looking to Christ. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And may we endure our cross, Lord, with the joy set before us. And that we will be with you forever, Lord. And Father, as a church, Lord, we want to be real for a moment, Lord, and just acknowledge the amount of grace we need. Because some of us, Lord, are in situations where we think, Lord, that watching stories on TV, Lord, cynical series, Lord, instead of spending time with the most holy God who created all, and we rather choose the television screen, may we acknowledge, Lord, how much grace we need. Father, when we are confronted with people, Lord, who do not know the gospel, and the choice is between their eternal salvation and our temporal comfort, and we choose temporal comfort, Lord, may we acknowledge how, many, how much grace we need. And we knew, Lord, the day that we said yes to following you, that it is not a a little bit thing. It's not obeying a little bit. It's not reading a little bit. It's not trusting a little bit. It is everything or nothing. But we chose to die, Lord. And dead men do not make decisions. We follow. There we are tonight. God has laid something in your heart. Whatever the reason might be. If you've become passive because you've taken your eyes off of Christ. in light of everything that is shaking and trembling in the world you have begun to make your own plans to secure something for the future for yourself or if you are uncertain about your salvation whatever the case might be there we are lift up your voice to God but don't remain silent say Lord here I am those of us confronted with steps of obedience that we need to take, we need to go and tell the truth to someone, we need to confess we need to repent we need to phone someone, whatever the case might be you can acknowledge it will not be comfortable in the temple it will be awkward and it will expose certain things but in light of eternity let's obey let's follow we do not love the temple Thank you, Lord, as prayers are going up, Father, for you extending grace, Lord, enabling us, Father, to, to change, Lord. We can do a lot of things, Father. We can change, Lord, the way we think. Difficult, but with intentionality, we can do that. We can change the things we do. But we cannot change our hearts, Lord. We come and plead, Lord, by grace, Lord. Come and mold this heart of stones into hearts of flesh, Lord. Come and examine, Lord. Come and renew. Come and pour out your spirit, Lord, and cause us to walk in your ways. As we acknowledge in humility, Lord, that we are in need of grace.
thank you, Lord, as we've seen, Lord, throughout this book of Jonah, when we cry out, Lord, no matter, Father, how long we've disobeyed, Father, how far we've run, you hear our voice, thanks to Jesus Christ and His sacrificial offer on the cross. Not by works done by us in righteousness, Lord, but by your mercy, you saved us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your leading. Thank you for revealing, although it's uncomfortable, we thank you for it. May we yield to your leading in Jesus' name.